This morning we are continuing in our series. We are uh, reminding ourselves what our priorities are here at the church, what our uh, mission statement, if you will, is. And uh, a mission statement is only good if you're aware of it and you're moving toward that. And so it's good to rehearse this every once in a while. And and uh, sort of our our goals in that are wrapped in the Shrine acronym. And we have been working our way through those last week. Spencer was here and uh, he preached on I, which was invite others into a deeper relationship with Jesus. This morning we're going to do N, which is nurture our children and youth. Nurture our children and youth. In our church, it is important for us to do ministry for people of all ages, but any any church... uh, that, that wants to grow the kingdom, any church that wants to be alive and vital, you need a special attention to children and youth. It, it aligns itself with, with the Bible's insistence, the Bible's justice standards, that the Bible is always asking us to pay special attention for, to those who have no voice to those who don't have the same access to power and the ability to to speak for themselves at all times. In, in the Old Testament, it's widows and orphans. It's this that God loves everyone, but he the heart of God moves towards the heart of those who are pushed aside by others. And, and maybe in, in our culture, uh, there, you could make an argument that we actually spend too much uh, worry and time and money on our kids and parents are too focused on their kids. And uh, I, I don't think that's true. And I, I think it's hard to make a, a, a claim that you can love someone too much. Now, do we spoil and indulge them a little bit? Yes. But you were too. Do you just, it just looked different back then, right? But in the church, we need, we need to be essential. We, we have to make sure that we don't allow this group that doesn't put money in the offering plate and this group that doesn't get to serve on church uh, committees and this group that often are seen in the church as the ones we like to talk about but not see in person, Right? Every every church, just like I said a few weeks ago, every church always tells me that they're friendly, but they're not. Every church always tells me they want a youth group, but they don't. They want a couple of key figures that they can see every once in a while. They want to parade some children up so that we can do a children's sermon and we can all go, oh, and all that. But they don't want kids talking in the service. They don't want them running around. They don't like the property damage they do. It's real, folks. <laughs> I used to be a youth director and before I went to seminary in Harlingen, Texas. And uh, as I started my youth ministry there, the church was building a brand new building. It was this big, huge gym facility and had uh, a gym and a kitchen and classrooms and a loft upstairs for the kids and everything. And it had taken two years to build it. They were It was finally coming together. It was in the fall and the bishop was scheduled to come. We were going to dedicate the building, have our grand opening on Sunday morning. The weekend before that, uh, 
We used to do a program called uh, Fifth Quarter where we would invite all the community kids after the high school football game over to the church and we'd have pizza for them and games and stuff. And so we hadn't been able to do that for a while because it was under construction. So now even though it was coming up and it was fancy and the ladies had already made their little bows and everything in there and decorated for the bishop coming and everything, I convinced them to let me do Fifth Quarter in the gym. And the last words of the building, uh, the guy that was in charge of the building program and my pastor were just make sure it looks nice on Sunday. Well, it wasn't five minutes into the evening. Two guys that were wrestling had cowboy boots on and knocked up against the wall. And we immediately, within five minutes, had a big hole in the wall. It was like, I was I'd never seen it before. I think they could have done it a hundred times. Wouldn't happen before. So we, you know, I, I, it was it was late at night. We couldn't. So we just like put butcher paper over it and taped it, trying to to cover it up. The next morning, when we had our um, our celebration, of course, uh, I was met by a lot of angry people that I had ruined the church and everything. The bishop was there. He walked by and asked me about it. And I said, well, uh, that happened last night at the thing. Well, when he got up to, to consecrate the church and stuff, he said, I want everybody to look at that hole over there. And I'm like, thank you so much. <laughs> um, but he said, I hope the next time I come back, there's even more of those. Because if you have holes in your walls, that means you're doing ministry. If it's pristine, it means you're running a museum. And a lot of churches would rather run a museum. How many of us grew up in church being told to be quiet? Right? I love it when we have kids in the service that don't understand you're supposed to be miserable to be here. <laughs> they haven't read that part yet. Or when you have a kid in the service that, that uh, when I'm preaching and ask a rhetorical question, they shout the answer back to me. Right, I, I love I love parents. If you have kids here, we we do the children's church thing, and and that's great, and it gives them a space for themselves. But they're always welcome in our worship service. And anyone who gives you a dirty look, please report them to me. <laughs> because if you can't deal with a kid squirming or making noise, you've missed the whole story about Jesus to begin with. They are not a, a necessary evil. They are not the, the children's ministry is not free babysitting for the parents. That's not our number one goal. It certainly is a part of our ministry that we want to support families and, and, and uh, be effective in sharing our faith across families. And families are under pressure. And then those years of child giving, you would love to have somebody join in with you. It's because at that age group, and this is this has uh, been proven by study time after time. It's confirmed every year. Upwards of eighty percent of people who have a faith in Christ as adults, the seeds for that were planted in their children and youth years. 
There is this, just like kids have an affinity to learn language, uh, there's this opening of their mind that if you raise them in a bilingual or trilingual environment, they're just going to naturally pick up on, they don't have to work at it. When When we get old like us, then that closes and then you have a hard time just speaking your native language. Right. But but there's this there's this openness to it. And that openness is the same with their ability to to seek out God, to understand God, to connect with God. It It's amazing how sometimes kids can pick up on spiritual forces and spiritual powers around. When they're sensitive to to uh, uh, someone in the room that's being ignored or or a, a prayer need or or just that idea that Jesus is with us because their little hearts are open their little minds are open it's why Jesus said you need to have faith like a child you just it's there because he said it was there i believe it because somebody told me it's real we need to nurture that in every aspect that we can. Whenever we do a baptism with with kids, last week we did uh, Braxton Blade Palmer, right? In 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 our service, uh, Beth Palmer's uh, grandson. Uh, as we baptize him, we do like we do with all of our kids. There's this three-way covenant. The number one covenant is between God and the child, right? That this is a creation of God. And God, even before they can speak, knew his name, has a place and a purpose for him, and is connected to him for the rest of his life. There's a covenant between God and the parents. That the parents are saying, we we recognize that our child is a gift from God. We're giving him back to God, and we want to do our best to raise our child in a way that they're going to come to know God as their own personal uh, Lord and Savior. And then the third covenant is between God and the and we always say, church, on behalf of this family, will you hold them in your prayers? Will, we, will you keep the, the need for our children and youth ministries a priority so that this child and others like him might come to know Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior? It is essential for us. The, the, the politics of the Bible, if you would, the justice of the Scriptures demands it of us. We must invest ourselves in them. For those of you that, that, have, uh, that are Christian, I want you to think back in your life when that sort of first started to register. I think for the majority of us, it, we, would, we would be able to pull something from our childhood or teenage years as essential in us following through with our Christianity. For me, of course, it starts with parents. Uh, parents that raised me in the church, parents that, that uh, got me in the door and, and to every event and uh, just made it necessary from the beginning that this is who we are. But parents in the room, uh, I, I'm, help me. We need help as parents sometimes too, right? And you need some other voices in your kids' lives. Because what, like my kids, what they heard from me at that age was stop it. <laughs> Sit down. No. No. 
But when you have friends and community and church that reach out, it helps them. I, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you two different people in my life. The, the, the first one, uh, her name is Ruby. Uh, Ruby Plummer. She was in my childhood years in the church, growing up in the church. She was a family friend. Uh, she was just a little firecracker. She's about this tall. Um, she just had this personality that uh, was so attractive to me, a problem kid. Um, she would she would sit in church and and uh, she she always was like, "Let's sing good old time religion. Give me that old time, right?" And and the preacher would be preaching, and she occasionally would stand up and correct him on his theology and as a rebellious kid I was like I want to be like that when I grow up but in Ruby she's the one she was my Sunday school teacher and I've told you before I was the kid that no one wanted to be Sunday school teacher for because I was such a challenge and stuff but I loved Ruby's Sunday school class because we played poker in Ruby's Sunday school class. It was awesome. She'd give us matchsticks. We'd play. The genius of it, though, was after we learned the rules of poker, we played poker while we talked about the Bible lesson. But you didn't even realize what she was doing. When, when, when I was in, in, in middle school, the church did a youth Sunday. I can't remember what I did. I, I like read something or did a prayer or something. And afterwards, she buzzed up to me and I told you she was little. She grabbed me by the shirt, looked up at me and said, you're going to be a pastor. And at that time, there was no evidence in that direction. (laughs) There was zero evidence of that. The fruits of the Spirit were not alive in my life at that point. Before before I got ordained, Ruby was older. I, I got to uh, right before I was ordained. I got to have a telephone call with her, when, in which I was able to say, "Ruby, I'm going to be ordained this week." And she said, "I told you." <laughs> right? You need a Ruby in your life, don't you? And some of you have some Rubies that you can think of. That that that. That person who sees something in you that you don't see in yourself. That alternative voice from what all the teachers and authority figures are saying uh, that, that allows you to be accepted and loved. Beth and uh, used to be a youth director too. I used to be. We we talk a lot about this. That when you're a youth director, there's there's you, you'd like to see kids come, but there's there's always this thing that the the kids that cause the most problem are the most loyal to your program and will show up every week. Every week. They won't miss. You wish they'd miss. You'd like to give them a false address for the next gathering, right? But they never miss. And you know why? I I mean, this is who I am. You know why I wouldn't not show up? It's because I finally found a place where I wasn't the problem kid. I was part of the family. That, it, that there was a prophetic word about me that was something other than you're going to be in prison. <laughs> right? Children and youth need that voice in their life. Let's, let's, uh, we're going to use a, 
a happening from Jesus's ministry to further our conversation. We're going to be in Luke chapter 9. Beginning in verse 37, the next day after they had come down the mountain, a large crowd met Jesus. A man in the crowd called out to him, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, my only child. An evil spirit keeps seizing him, making him scream. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It batters him and hardly ever leaves him alone. I begged your disciples to cast out the spirit, but they couldn't do it. Jesus said, You faithless and corrupt people, how long must I be with you and put up with you? And then he said to the man, Bring your son here. And as the boy came forward, the demon knocked him, knocked him to the ground and threw him into a violent convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the evil spirit and healed the boy. Then he gave him back to his father, and awe gripped the people as they saw this majestic display of God's power. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I know it's a peculiar passage to use to talk about children and youth ministry, but here, here's why I picked it. It gives us a, 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 to focus on two things. Number one, the power of Jesus, right? The power of Jesus. The second, the evil of culture that our kids are growing up in right now. Okay? Let's start there. This is, this is a story about an evil spirit. In our day, we would probably say that there was some kind of mental illness or some kind of medical situation that was going on with the convulsions. But for, for their understanding and for those purposes, it was an evil spirit. Some of us have a problem with the idea that, uh, of, uh, evil being personified in like Satan or, or a being like that. Uh, the Bible speaks to that witness that there's an enemy actively worried, working against it. But if you can't go there, at least the concept of evil that in a world where there's good and bad, there isn't a, a bad that's at war against the good. And, and this child is in a position where his life is miserable. This story follows the, the transfiguration. Jesus had taken James and John and Peter up on the mountain. They, the, the heavens had opened up. Uh, Jesus had been transfigured. He was glowing white. A uh, voice of God came out. Uh, it, it was this high moment. The other disciples had been left down in town to do ministry. And this dad, so desperate to get his son healed, had been talking to the disciples. He had been, he had been going to them. He had heard the stories about Jesus and this ministry that was happening, the healing that had happened. There'd been other evil spirits dismissed and stuff. So the father out of desperation comes and we don't know how long he'd been there, but he was to the point now that he's frustrated because the other disciples couldn't do anything about it. And Jesus comes down the mountain and the father goes to him. And I think all of us parents can relate to this man and his, and his passion and his fear at this point. My son, can you help me? I mean, as parents, is there anything worse than watching your kids suffer? We, you, you'd like to just take it away from them. You'd, you, you wish you could put it on yourself. You wish you could shield it from it, right? It, we, we don't want to see our kids Suffer this dad for years. I mean, this has obviously been going on. How many times had he had to sit and watch him writhe on the ground, not able to control himself? How many times could all he do is hold him and hope that he'd get through this one? 
the desperation in this man's life. I don't think it's too dramatic to say that when we do youth and children ministry, we are offer, we are often offering ministry to people who are just as desperate as the family found in this story. I know we live in Kerrville, Texas, little bubble of nirvana. But there's child abuse. There's drug abuse. There's abandonment. There's hunger. There's divorce, affairs, horrific house sex trafficking, horrific things that we often close our eyes to. But we we whenever we're doing children and youth ministry, we are we are often we are often doing ministry for folks that are overwhelmed by life circumstances. And I know every generation has had their, their challenges and stuff, but it just seems more magnified right now. The, the things that kids are going through. I mean, just think in this century, 9-11, a loss of security, of, of, of the security of our own country and our own nation. Pandemic and closing down. School shootings. Mall shootings. Movie theater shootings. Church shootings. All of these environments which are supposed to be safe places for kids, they, they, are, they are living in high awareness of what's happening around them. We get to go out and do a worship service out at Camp Mystic. The, the Eastlands uh, run Camp Mystic. It's a girls' camp in, in Hunt. We get to go out uh, each session and do a worship service for them. And this summer, every time we've gone out, Tweety is the one that gets in contact with me. Every every time before we go out, Tweety just lets me know the girls are just so anxious and worried. For the first time in that camp's uh, history, they have had to address with parents and kids what would happen if an active shooter came onto their property. And the girls are having a hard time sleeping by thinking about that. Depression, social anxiety, teen suicide is at an all-time high. The pressure that this culture, this, this evil spirit of culture has on families and children, it's, it's, it's astounding to think. We, we take for, I mean, when I grew up, we, we would ride our bikes all day and my parents had no idea where I was and I'd get home late and, and as long as I was home for supper and wasn't bleeding, everything was good. Life doesn't work like that anymore. The pressure that they're under, parents trying to figure out what to do. Do I homeschool? Do I allow them to go to a camp? Do I allow them to go here? Who can I trust? Who can't I trust? When is it safe? When isn't it safe? There is this pressure of culture that we can, we can sit around and, and sort of rail at the moon over everything that's wrong in our world. But the fact of the matter is, there's real people that are experiencing these things and we have the ability to speak into their life in a way that might make a difference. Can you help me? My only son. 
Jesus, he, he says your other disciples couldn't do anything. Jesus looks at him and says, oh, you wicked and corrupt people, how much longer am I going to have to be with you? What he's really saying is, y'all still don't get it, do you? To the other disciples, this isn't a magic trick that I'm about to do. This is the power of God that lives in me that is going to change this kid's life. Why are you all trying to do it in your own strength and in your own power? It's not about a new program. It's not about an education. It's not about you. It's about being an agent for God. And then he calls the boy over. And even in the midst of that, another convulsion hits him. But Jesus touches him. The spirit is gone and the boy is healed. See, when Jesus enters a picture, no matter how hopeless it may seem, he does miraculous things. It's sort of the story of God. When things seem hopeless, when things seem crazy, when things seem out of control, that's where God does his best work. And it says that after he did that awe, fell over the crowd. Awe fell over the crowd. Like some of you, um, we, we have a hard time thinking of these stories literally and the, the evil spirits and all of that. Uh, I, I know a lot of folks that have been on missions in other countries and other places that would tell you this is all too real. And these kind of things still take place. But I think we are called to exercise the fear culture out of our children and youth. This is that place that we can give them a safe place. This is that place where instead of talking about what to be afraid of, we give them who to put their trust in and who will stand secure by them. And it will change everything. The dad was changed. Can you imagine? For the first time in how long he could go to sleep not rushing into his kid's room to make sure he's okay. For the first time, be able to take him out in public not worried about the, the stares and the looks that he was going to get. The dad's For the first time, dad had peace. That unrest that had been a part of that, that that heartbreak that he had been, that was taken away as a gift from the Prince of Peace to the dad. It changed the dad. It changed the kid. I mean, he probably had little friends and little social connection. It's hard enough being a teenager without falling in convulsions and all this stuff that goes on with that. He probably felt as a burden to his family. He probably wondered if it was ever going to end. He probably had fears and anxieties too. And in a moment, those were gone and he had peace. And the crowd was chained. Awe struck the crowd. They were marveled at the glory of God and the majesty of God. You know, we talk about growing church and, you know, we, we, we all would like to see churches grow and everything. The growing of the church does not happen by program. It doesn't happen by, by you know, a, a well-run uh, a new ministry or anything. Churches grow, and the way they've grown since the beginning of the church was when the Spirit of God is lit up in someone's heart and we start living through the power of God. 
You read in the book of Acts, what made the church explode is the power of the Holy Spirit at work in the lives of people who were following Jesus. We have a very capable youth ministry here and and children's ministry. Uh, Kendra Thomas is our new um, youth director. uh, And uh, Laura Drain is her assistant. Laura does the middle school kids. Kendra's over the program. She's relatively new. They're working to get stuff going again. Uh, We just made plans that next June we're going to take a group of kids to uh, Estes Park in Colorado at the YMCA of the Rockies for a, a national camp. And for that, so if you got kids, uh, put that in your little ear hole and 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 get ready for that. That's going to be a great trip. But they're they're working in our youth department. Patty Hutt is over here at our children's department. Uh, she has a couple of people that help. Carrie Banks does children's church that happens on Sunday mornings. Sarah Willis does our little tots program, which is for toddlers and and little ones. Uh, we have Sunday school teachers and, and, and those kind of folk that do that. We have the children's arc over here, which has been going for over 30 years. Every year is voted as uh, one of uh, the best uh, child care in Kerr County. We have a Mother's Day Out program called uh, Bright Beginnings Preschool that has a waiting list so long because this is a great place and those teachers do such a great job. We, we, we do a lot of children and youth ministry here. This is not one of those sessions where I'm going to beat you up and say, we got you've, you've done horrible in this, right? Here's what I want to say. You probably don't recognize all the influence that has had over the years. This church is 170 years in existence. We don't often get to hear the stories of how that goes full circle, but you got to see the results of it last week with Spencer. Spencer grew up in this church. He was that one no one wanted in his Sunday school class. (laughs) We still sort of feel like that at times on staff, but... But this is where he met Jesus. And how many other kids? How many of you? This is where you met Jesus. It's just, it's, it's more, it's, it's not a, you're not doing it. It's a reminder. We got to keep doing it and make every effort at it. We need, we need to be willing to spend generously and extravagantly and even recklessly towards those ministries. We cannot pour enough of our resources into that because we are battling evil forces that are holding nothing back. That's not... I love telling the story about Ruby because I want to remind you that for me, one of the most essential people in my life was not a church staff member. She didn't get paid to do it. She just loved me because she decided to love me. And every one of you can offer that to someone else. It doesn't always have to be you're the one in the classroom or anything like that, but there's ways to support them by prayer and and, uh, doing meals, uh, giving toward their trips, all those kind of things. That's how, of smiling at them when they're running down the hall as they trip over you and, and everything else, reminding ourselves, no, we want this in church. Who knows who the next one that hears the call of God in their life isn't sitting in our pew somewhere this morning? 
It's essential for us, folks. It's it's how we can make the most transformative difference in the community that we live in. To allow our children and youth to be blessed by the love of God. Sorry, I'm... (laughs) I'm just trying to figure where I'm going. We uh, we need to rededicate ourselves to this. We've had, with the pandemic, we've got all these pandemic babies in our church now. I mean, I've done, I've done uh, just in the last six months, I think we've done like 12 baptisms, right? It's all these pandemic babies. I'm past the breeding generation, so we're, you're not getting any more kids from me. But this, that's the number one way to grow a church, have people have babies. That, that, we, the easiest way to grow a church. But we, we, we need a renewed vigor in that. Parents, if you have kids, and, and, and every kid is going to tell you a youth group is boring. That's just what they do. That's their job, right? Make them be bored every once in a while. Push them outside their comfort zone. Put them into to something. The sports and everything, that's great too. That works on their self and gives them a purpose, keeps them out of trouble. That's great too. But give, give God and fellowship a try too. I know they're going to they're gonna fight you tooth and nail. It's all right. They'll live. But it could make a difference in their life. Why don't you bow with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, number one, we we just pause to say thank you for putting those folks in our lives that made a difference. Thank you for those voices that spoke hope into us. Thank you for the connection that you made in your kingdom with one of your servants. Sometimes we've been able to take that full circle and say thank you. Sometimes we never got that opportunity. Many of those folks have gone on to their reward and now are in your presence. But from our heart to you, God, thank you for those folks. Your love was glorified through their service. Would you help us to be a ruby? Would you help us to to seek to speak hope into someone's life? God, would would you just remind us of the blessing that we have for the the kids and the youth in 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 our church? And we pray over our leaders and all those that are tasked in those ministries. Give them perseverance and, and creativity and energy and, and uh, new ideas. We pray over family and parents, but God, we especially pray, pray over our kids. Keep them safe. Bless them. And help us point them to you. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.